James Horror Review. I am your host, Just James, and today we are covering two films, Housebound from 2014 and People Under the Stairs 1991. Woo! It's going to be a good one. This is episode 68. Well, hello there, listener, and welcome back to the Just James Overview. I'm your host, Just James. A little bit of housekeeping here. Yes, this is episode 68. Now, chronologically, if you look at my show history, they're numbered kind of weird. I skip some with bonus episodes and shorts, book reviews, and certain ones that I just never put numbers to. So, you know, first year doing this kind of thing, so we're just trying to figure it all out. How do we want it to go? What do we want our format to look like? And I've decided to go ahead and just assign them all a number from one to this episode, making this episode 68. Now, I'm not going to count each film as one, so one show is one number, and that's it. So that's how we're going to roll it. Number 68. Holy shit, that's a lot. And uh, pretty exciting. So, yeah. For Also, wanted to thank all the people who listened to the show, whether it's one episode or all the episodes. Spotify did that cool thing I'm sure everyone's aware of now, where they give you a list of all your favorite shows and songs you've listened to and how many hours and minutes you've put in and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? If you do a podcast, which, you know what? You should. If you've been on the fence, you've been thinking about it, do it. You got something to say. It's easy. It's free. It's just like making a YouTube channel. No one's got to look at your face and you can just yakety yak in this microphone like I do every week. It's a lot of fun and you actually get to meet a lot of cool new people that you probably otherwise would have never been introduced to. So it's a fun little project to do. And I think if you're on the fence about doing it, you don't have to be all like razzle dazzle like I do. You can just be yourself. And um, yeah, it's a really cool project. It's something cool to take on. So if you're looking for a New Year's resolution why not start a podcast? Hit me up. I'll listen to it. I'll promote it. I'll have you on the fucking show. Let's do this. But anyway, thank you to everyone who has shared their time with me on your drive to work or wherever it might be. Thank you. All right. So all that being said, let's get into the show. It's going to be a two-piece episode. We have Housebound 2014, not to be confused with the 2003 film by the same name. Of course, when I was doing notes for this, I kept writing Homebound, Housebound, and getting the two confused. It is Housebound 2014. And we're also going to cover The People Under the Stairs from 1991. Whoa, I thought I'd seen this movie. I seem to have memories that I've seen this movie, but after watching it, I've never fucking seen this movie. So I'm glad I finally got to watch it now. Anyway, without further ado, Housebound 2014. Let's get into it. All right. Housebound was directed by Gerard Johnston or John Stone. I don't know. It's spelled John Stone to me, but it could be Johnston. I don't know because I didn't look up a video on how to say it. I didn't really care. However, I believe it was, this was recorded in New Zealand, so this might be a New Zealand film. That might be a New Zealand name, and that might be how you say it. And I'm completely, completely butchering it and, and just disgracing an entire nation. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It looks like Johnston to me. So anyway, we'll move on. If that sounds familiar, that is the guy who did the new movie called Megan. I have to say that because if I just say Megan, you might be like, oh, is there another Megan? No, it's the recent doll, you know, uh, robot movie called Megan. Also, he's doing a Megan 2.0. I haven't seen that yet. It looks cool. I've heard mixed reviews on that film. However, I will say, if you saw that movie and you thought it sucked, I promise you give this movie a chance because it's by the same director. 
But I've even though I haven't seen it, I know it's got to be completely different. It's got to be because this is sort of like a horror suspense comedy. Anyway, we will dive into that as we go. I want to start in case you want to watch this film because I'm going to spoil parts of it and probably not all of it. But this is a good movie. Definitely would recommend. It's a lot of fun to watch. Well, I won't say it's crazy good. I would rather say it's crazy fun. That's what we'll say about it. Um, but this is, without a doubt, a horror film. It's got a lot of horror elements, but it's also a comedy. So a horror comedy that has, you know, uh, a good mystery, a lot of misdirection. And the female lead is freaking amazing. And she plays a great bitch. And I, I don't use that in a misogynistic sort of way. I just mean that is her character. And she plays it great. You will hate her for most of the film just because of her ass. She's just such a nasty person. And what I like about this is that it will, even though it's a, a comedy, it drags you into the horror part of the movie, it, usually by doing something real quick and snappy or something that'll happen that brings you right back into the, the comedy part and back into the horror part. Comedy part, back into the horror part. Like you'll see someone get, you know, a, a violent murder or something like that. And then let's just say it's, uh, they have a funny scene where like maybe they're trying to hide the body or something and they can't pick it up because it's too heavy. That's kind of what I mean about that back and forth of genuine horror something scary and then something that's comedic with what is going on on the screen that contrasts pretty hard with what just happened films that kind of remind me of this it's almost like if cabin in the woods and the film the boy and beetlejuice maybe Shaun of the dead is a really good example anything for jackson that film though if you kind of think of the vibe of those films and if you put them all together in a blender and had a baby well not wait we don't put a baby in a blender if you put them all if you blend them all together and they were to make a baby, it would be a film much like this film. It's just a lot of fun, and it's still a thriller, and a mystery, and a horror, and just, yeah, so check it out. That is my, not really spoiler warning, but if you want to watch it, I would do that first. All right, so the movie has a fantastic opener that grabs you right away and immediately sets the tone for the film. We see Kylie and her partner in crime. I don't know who he is. I don't even know if it's ever identified. And they're trying to smash and grab this ATM. Now, the the, the guy that's hitting the ATM with, uh, it looks like a hammer or axe, I can't really tell, but he's swinging it, knocking into it, and he kind of looks a bit like an oaf. And he hits it one good time, and it bounces back, hits him in the face, and knocks him out cold. So, of course, Kylie's looking at him like he's kind of, like he's an idiot, you know. She decides she's going to take care of this thing herself, so she, it looks like a firework dynamite i don't know what the hell it is but she puts it in lights it and it has a fuse and it ends up exploding she pulls the money box out of the atm and then she's ready to make her escape now the music works really well with this film as well as the lighting and all that kind of stuff to make you think like oh, okay it's a serious movie what's going on right now is pretty serious you know it's getting a little tense the suspense is ramping up it's getting a little bit of a thrill ride beginning to this and now as she turns to run towards her vehicle with the money it it pans back with this really long shot of a scene of her slowly dragging this dude's huge body across the parking lot to get it in the car with the money and so right off the bat from this this opener it like i said it's going to set the tone for the entire film if you don't like the first 15 minutes if you don't like the opener you're not going to like the rest of the film period all right so she does make it to the car she starts it cranks it up she goes to 
peel out and haul ass out of there. And then, uh-oh, what happens? She hits a speed bump. It bottoms the car out. The wheels aren't touching the ground. And it's just revving and revving and revving. She's not going anywhere. And you see the frustration on her face and the anger and the hate. And she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And then, of course, it cuts to a scene with, like, you know, the jail bar sound. Like, you're like, you know. Busted. So that is our opener. It's hilarious. Sets the tone. And... I just love the way that everything is introduced in this film because it's all a slow trickle as you learn more about the characters, the places where they're at, the the setting and all that kind of stuff just slowly is introduced to you, just kind of uh, just fed to you with a baby spoon as you go through the film. And I think it's really cool because that way you're never really focused on one big main plot point or anything like that. You're just able to just kind of enjoy the ride, slow, smooth ride as they feed you these uh, these yummy little uh, breadcrumbs throughout the film. So anyway, Kylie ends up being sentenced to house arrest, and we find out that the house that she goes to, because she doesn't have a home, is her parents' house. And she has a mom and a stepdad, and she absolutely hates them. We learn that very quick. But then as we meet them, as we meet her mother and her stepdad, you find out that they're nice people. They're really kind and sweet, well-meaning people, and she just can't fucking stand them for that. And of course, you know, they dress her up with like dark hair, dark eyeshadow. She's got the leather jacket. She's got the attitude like, mom, she just fuck off, you know, or whatever. And her mom's just like, oh, would you like some tea? Horrible accent. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's how it is. She's just very well-meaning mom, but also the kind of mom that has that I don't even know how to say it. It's kind of like that underlying snarkiness. Like they'll say something. It's passive aggression. Yeah, just that underlying passive aggression. But it's buried so deep in just that generic kind of kindness that she puts off. It's hard to tell. For Kylie, at least, she doesn't know, like, is my mom giving me shit right now? Or is she just being an annoying, loving mother? That kind of thing. So that's the dynamic between those two. Plays out great between the whole uh, throughout the whole movie. So anyway, the story goes on with her mom just an- annoying her every second of the day that she is there. And... They have this back and forth about wanting to use the phone. Her mom's like, I'm on the phone or whatever. She can't use it. So Kylie goes in another room and she's listening to the radio. And then she hears her mom on the radio. So her mom was using the phone to try to get in on this radio show. And this is kind of where, like I said, we're introduced a little bit at a time of different things. So because at first you're kind of like, okay, she's in the house with her mom. How is this a horror movie? What's going to happen? Well, on the radio broadcast, her mother starts telling a story about how their house is haunted. She believes it's haunted because when her daughter was very young, she used to say something about you know, having an imaginary friend and talking to people that weren't there. And there was things that had happened in the house. And she very much believes that there is a ghost in there. So Kylie goes in there. And again, she's just fucking mean to her about it. And she's like, oh, so you, you really think there's ghosts in here? And she's like, well, you used to, too. And she's like, yeah, mom. I also used to think the moon was made of cheese. And then she storms out. And you're like, what a bitch. Why are you being so mean to your mom? This is awful. And I want to say this kind of film, if you liked Shaun of the Dead, the humor is very, very similar. And I don't know if that's just kind of a regional type humor, if it's just very specific to maybe, you know, like New Zealand in this film, for instance, if their type of humor is like that, and maybe that's different than, you know, American uh, comedy or, or Asian comedy or European comedy, whatever it might be. But it just has a certain, you know it when you see it. And, and that's what this is. It's not slapstick or anything. It, it's just very smart-ass and quick. And and I keep saying snappy because they just hit you one after the other. And it is hilarious. And yeah, I would be interested to know that. I'd like to see, I'd like to see the Creepy Crap Podcast uh, do this film and see what he thinks about it. Because he's definitely a lot closer to that area than I am. And maybe, too, it's the accent has something to do with it. Maybe because it's just my accent and you hear them and, and the way they talk and they're very polite and all that it's just a whole lot different than what i'm used to here in 
the U.S. it's a whole lot different. You know, sometimes accents make certain things funny. Sometimes people think it's funny the way I talk. I hide it well on the show. Or do I? Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do. Who knows? Anyway, fuck it. Here we go. Let's go. Let's move on. So the movie introduces this ghost story element, and then a couple of spooky weird things start happening, some creaks and some pops, and things start happening in the house, or things get moved around or whatever, and we're starting to get suspicious. Okay, this is going to be a haunted house film. That's where we're going with this. All right. So the place is haunted, all right? And then she has this kind of kooky parole officer guy that comes over, and he finds out about it. So he gets out all this equipment, and you find out that he's like a amateur paranormal investigator and he takes it very serious he comes over there and again like there's a scene where he's trying to record the voice like you know zach baggins style where he'll bring out a little tiny tape recorder he'll ask a question and then wait in silence and every time he does that someone tries to talk and he's like can you just shut up and then they listen to it and then they play that he's like okay you don't believe it listen to this and he plays the tape back and the music gets all intense and you're like drawn in you know you're leaning into the screen like oh fuck okay here's we're gonna hear something it's gonna be nuts and then nothing happens, and it completely deflates the scene, and it's hilarious. All right, but then there is another element to this with Kylie being super mean to her mom. There is a scene where her mom kind of says something like, well, I'm not going to be a prisoner in my own house because of her as she's talking to her stepdad. So there's another element here where you're like, well, wait a minute. Is this something the mom is doing to mess with her to maybe she'll screw up and get violate her house arrest and, you know, essentially be taken out of the house by the courts and put in jail or something like that. So there's a couple of different through lines. And I will say at times, sometimes the storyline can get a little lost in the sauce. Doesn't really take it away, t- take away from anything. If I don't know if they're just trying to like enhance the mystery of everything that's going on and confuse you a little bit, but I didn't feel like all those were necessary, but it didn't also didn't necessarily ruin the film for me. So working with her probation officer and her mother, they end up finding out more and more clues about the the house they live in. She finds out that her stepdad bought it. It used to be a halfway house that this girl was brutally murdered in, and now that's the ghost they think that's wandering around there. And they keep following all these clues, and the ghost is like trying to help them solve her murder. It kind of turns into one of those films, but then, oh shit, wait, maybe is the neighbor the murderer? We don't know yet. Is it still got something to do with the mom? I don't know. It's all just kind of tying together. It's got all these different through lines, like I said. And uh, the ending is, I-, I won't say necessarily predictable because they're throwing you in so many different directions, but I was happy with the ending. It was a satisfying enough ending to a film like this. But overall, cool film, a whole lot of cool twists and turns, a lot of really cool scenes. It is still a horror movie, but like I said, it's more of a horror comedy, thriller, suspense, mystery film that's entertaining. If, you- if it's one of those nights where you don't know what else to watch, but you don't want something that's too heavy, check this film out. Check out Housebound from 2014, and you won't be disappointed. And that's going to wrap up Housebound. Let's move on to our next film, The People Under the Stairs, 1991. All right, so People Under the Stairs, I was super surprised because I thought I'd seen this movie before. And after watching... Housebound, it had a lot of elements that reminded me of that movie. Just pretty much there were some people moving around in the walls. And it had me thinking about people moving around in the walls, living under the stairs, people under the stairs. Holy shit. So I saw that, and then it also came up in a recommendation on one of the things that I, I watch for movies, like Tubi or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to check this out, go back, see if it's any good. And then I realized, once I looked it up, it was directed by... Wes Craven. Now, we all know who Wes Craven is, but just in case you don't, he is 
the Scream guys, the guy that created the Scream franchise. And you know what? But look here, I love Scream. I think it's great. It was cool when it came out. It kind of revitalized the slasher film. I would say that's kind of you know synonymous with '90s horror would be slasher movies. Scream. That's where it came from. Even though Ghostface isn't my favorite favorite slasher at all for any you know i just always thought the mask was a little goofy he's not really a scary dude because he's just a dude a lot of these slashers they had some type of supernatural element or there was something about the people that made them scary you know maybe they were i don't know uh cursed with something or they had some type of like superhuman strength or you know whatever it was that made them a little bit more than just a murderous human you know but yeah, so I respect the film and I respect the franchise. Well, I respect the franchise up until like three, I think. And then after that, I feel like they just kind of shit the bed. I don't know. Like, I know the newest Scream just recently came out and a bunch of people online were really, really excited about, it. oh my gosh, it's the best one. And I think maybe because it had that one girl in it that played Wednesday Adams. I don't remember who she is, but apparently if she's in a horror movie now, like you have to love it because she's in it. I don't get it. And I won't throw a whole lot of shade because I haven't seen the new Scream, but only because the last like four before this one sucked a big old fat. So... I don't know. I'm not excited about seeing it. If it comes up on Tubi, I'll definitely watch it, but I'm not going to go pay to see it. So anyway, yeah, I guess I got maybe sort of some hard lines on that film. I'm just, I just don't know what all the hype is. I just don't see how all these sequels keep coming back. I mean, how many family members or friends, cousins, parents, uncles can still be sour about the original murders or about the original person? Oh, well, your your dad had sex with my mom 20 years ago and then I was a bastard child and I was the one that he tried to keep hidden and it was my boyfriend's uncle's best friend's cousin's daughter saw someone get murdered and it was you and so now I'm back to act out my revenge. Come on, dude. Piss off. Really? Oh, Scooby-Doo ass endings. I, I just can't. It's just not... <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, they're not bad movies. You know how I am. Anyway, Wes Craven also did Red Eye, Vampire in Brooklyn, Shocker, Swamp Thing, which is fucking cool, and of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. He also did The Hills Have Eyes, so I don't know if everyone was aware of that. I certainly had forgotten that fact, I guess. I'd known it at one time and forgot. The one I remember the most, though, is Last House on the Left, 1972, which I believe was his first film i could be wrong about that but it's a really good one it's it's definitely better than the remake even though the remake wasn't that bad but it certainly wasn't the original hard to remake the original because it was kind of such a shocking film it had some stuff in it that even in the 70s kind of turned some people off because of its violence and it was just sort of horrific you know and this guy like carves his name into this girl's chest after raping her it's it's a rough film it's pretty rough but anyway he's the director for this film people under stairs let's go ahead and get into it now we start out with a really sad situation of a family about to be evicted from their home and the mom is dying of cancer and she can't work very willy wonka ish type beginning to this story she can't work the dad's nowhere to be found and they got no way to save their apartment and no way to save rent and the landlord's being a real asshole and doesn't care isn't giving them any leeway and so it's a lot of problems for them and and our main character who is a kid who goes by the nickname fool now his real name is poindexter i believe in the film but throughout the film and in the credits they credit him as being fool and the reason is we have an opening scene where it shows some tarot cards and the sister is doing this tarot deck and reading his fortune brings out the fool card they call him fool that's why and she goes it really is a cool intro with the tarot deck i like the way very 
90s this film. I mean, it hits all the right 90s notes, especially the music, the musical score in this, and the sound effects, and the acting, and all that. Very, very 90s. Very 90s. But anyway, as she goes through the tarot deck and each one of the cards and explains the fool and who he is and what he does and, and what it represents, it kind of sets up the whole film, much like our other film. It really kind of step-by-steps the films and what's going to happen to our character, our character's arc, and all that. Boom, right there in the beginning. All kinds of exposition. I think that's the right word. I don't know. I hear I hear a lot of my friends use it, and uh, I've never bothered to actually look up what it means. I'm pretty sure that's what it means, though. It's exposition. All right, so like I said, Fool and his family are about to be evicted due to some predatory landlord shit that's going on, but his sister is dating a thief. Now, the thief tells Fool that he knows how to get quick money, he knows how he can help his mom and, and help you know, save her, save the apartment, all that kind of stuff. And you can tell right off the bat that this dude is using the kid. He's taking advantage of him because the kid feels like he's got to do something. He's kind of looking up to his sister like this dude's older. So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. You can tell, though, he's a sketchy dude. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this thief's like, well, I robbed a liquor store the other day and now I found a treasure map in the back and it's at the guy that owns its house. And we find out the guy that owns the liquor store is also the guy that owns that apartment building and a bunch of other apartments around there. And he has this predatory stuff and he's just like some kind of money grubbing shit bag. Oh, look, while I'm recording this episode, my cat decided to come in. Let's see if we can get some kitty cat AMSR, AMSR here. Say hello, Morticia. Say hello to the people in podcast world. Man, she's not having it. So yeah, at this point, I'm thinking maybe the movie is going to be kind of cheesy. One, just because of how it plays out. But again, that's kind of early 90s, just kind of how stuff like a lot of mainstream movies were. You know, just sort of cheesy in a, in, in a weird way. But then when he started talking about Treasure Map, and I was like, what the fuck is, is this Goonies? What are we doing here? But either way, Fool and this guy make a plan to go rob the big house of the guy that owns the liquor store and find out where this treasure map is. Apparently there's a bunch of gold. Gold coins, he keeps saying. There's this, this huge stash of gold coins and we're going to be rich. Now, as they're talking about this, we jump to a scene where we meet this family. It's a man and a woman living together who you assume are husband and wife. They seem very, very weird. Super weird. And they go and have this interaction with someone you believe to be their daughter, and it's very abusive. And she's she's a little kid. She looks like maybe, I, I don't know, kids' ages. Let's just say 10. She's like maybe she's 9 or 10. And, and it's all kind of odd. You know, like I said, we have this really sad kind of heart-wrenching scene at the beginning. Then all of a sudden we have a thief. Now we have a treasure map. Now we have this weird, abusive, real eccentric in all the bad ways type family that's abusing this kid. And you see that they got a bunch of stuff like laying around the house, uh, you know, like trap doors and secret hideaways, weapons and all this stuff. It, this is all still like the first 20 or 30 minutes, really. You're still trying to figure out what the storyline is here. And, you know, honestly, it doesn't get much better from there as as the film goes on. Fool and the boyfriend, they break into this big McMansion of a house where they think the treasure's hidden. And instantly, we find out that this couple that's living in there, they're murderous, kidnapping, child-abusing pieces of shit. And uh, they end up killing two of the thieves because Fool's thief sister's boyfriend has a friend that's with him and they all they have these like little hokey plans to try to get into the house when and that's kind of where they find out that this house is booby trapped it's all locked from like the inside to keep people from coming out and we find out that the little girl that was in there said she's never been outside like i said she looks like she's 10 she's never been outside which makes her scared to go outside right so that creates a real problem because as the thieves go inside fool goes with him he ends up getting stuck inside and that's where he meets this little girl 
And then here's where the it gets it starts to get more horror movie-ish, I guess I would say. The two thieves get killed and it's pretty brutal, I would say, just for the, the tone of the movie so far. It was brutal because it was a little out of place. One of them just gets gunned down, just gunned down right in the middle of the thing, and then they just leave his body to sit there. The other one, you don't really get to see what happens to him, but later on you see his body getting butchered up. They're feeding pieces of it to the dog. The guy that lives there, the husband, he's eating pieces of it. It's all very mismatched. It's like three movies in one that they tried to just force together. Now, as Fool's running around, he ends up getting pulled into the walls, which is where our tie-in is for the first film. He gets pulled into the wall by a kid who has been kidnapped there for who the hell knows how long. He's had his tongue cut out because that's what these sickos do. And his name is Roach. Roach lives in the wall. Roach is a cool-ass character. Probably coolest character in the film. Ends up being a good guy, but you don't know that at first, so they kind of play around with that. And Roach shows him the the ins and outs of the house. But So how Roach knows all this but still doesn't know how to escape, I don't know. But in the basement, or under the stairs, however you want to say it, is a cell full of kids that have had pieces of their bodies cut off. And the couple just keeps them there. So it's not that this film doesn't have scary, really just kind of screwed up things going on in it. But just the music and the way it's all played out, and like I said, just the the awkwardness of how it tries to cram a bunch of different themes together it's almost like a like a peter pan you know kid danger good guy movie it's like a wes craven reverse home alone sort of thing i I don't know it's really hard to explain and, and not what i was expecting you know at one point the man in the house that i was talking about he's running around in a full body gimp suit no fucking explanation whatsoever. I'm talking, and, and actually a really cool, almost kind of looks like a gimp suit superhero. <laughs> if you, Looks like a gimp suit superhero. It's a full body suit. He's got, you know, mouth zipped up and everything, and he is just cracking off shotgun rounds through the whole damn house. Let me say something about the shotgun in this film. If you do watch it and you want to play a fun drinking game, take a shot or drink a beer or whatever every time this dude shoots around. Because I would say throughout the film, they shoot... I don't know, 50, 50 shotgun rounds throughout the whole thing, never a reload, and this is something funny that happens in films all the time, and it's not really a big deal, but it's just funny. They always, like, rack the gun, you know, like, you know, they do the little thing because it's scary and it looks cool and it sounds badass, but, you know, in real life, like, when you do that, it shoots a shell out the side, so... Every time they do it in a movie, like, they'll say something cool like, don't worry, I'll get him, cha-cha, and then they fucking take off and go after him. Well, they do that, like, 12 times. Well, that would empty everything that's in your shotgun. So it's funny in this movie, like, it gets comical, and I don't know if they did that on purpose. You would think during editing or something, there would be someone in there and be like, hey, uh, Wes, uh, we're really jagging this thing off throughout the whole film i don't know if that's like the point or whatever but i don't know what kind of magic shotgun this thing holds 100 rounds i don't know what's going on here and he's like look put the guy in a gimp suit and have him blow holes and i don't give a shit i'm west craven i'll do what i want and you know what he did and i guess as i mention all this stuff i mean you hear all this and you think you know what this actually sounds pretty fucking good it sounds like a good movie i'm all in but you know it's it, it's just too many things at once honestly i watched this film because I heard, well, because I heard about it in the past and I thought I'd seen it and I hadn't. I've already talked about that. But then I saw somewhere that they're going to do a remake. So I thought, hey, why not? Time to check this thing out. And, and I'll say if they pick 
when they remake this movie, if they pick like a definite direction and they stick to it, I think it can be a really good movie and certainly can be a terrifying movie if they stick with this family in the house and quit trying to like Lego block all this stuff around it. Because like I said, make no mistake, it's got some screwed up stuff I mean, for a movie anyway. You know, kids being kidnapped and killed and tortured by this incest rich upper crust family who've been you know demented after years of greed and incest and they're just sort of hiding in plain sight which is pretty scary in and of itself and they're the people with all the money that kind of own all the property around so that's you know terrifying too so anyway the the movie does a good job of just briefly showing little screwed up things sort of in the last film like I said they kind of leave these breadcrumbs throughout the film that they don't necessarily you know they're not just going to put a spotlight on the knife, on the counter, or on the gun, in the cupboard, or anything like that. You just kind of see it in passing as you're being introduced to something else, or as the story is driving forward. So I like that not everything is in your face, which also kind of helps with the fear of this movie, because as they're running around, and they're chasing kids, and they're, you know, chopping up people, and doing all this kind of stuff, you see booby traps, and locked doors, guns all over the place. There's even a room where there's like a shrine set up to you see hundreds of pictures of kids and candles so you're like well, what is it? are they like worshiping the devil or what is going on here never explained which makes it that much more creepier what's the gimp suit about i don't know what's this devil weird kid worship you know uh sacrifice room about i don't know but it's in there and i want to know more but you're not gonna know more you're just gonna follow gimpy shooting through the house and it it gets intense as it goes on and crescendos into a really big ending i think and the man and the woman in the film, they call each other mommy and daddy, and I think they're actually in the credits referred to just as man and woman, and that's it. But they call each other mommy and daddy, but you find out kind of almost near the end of the film that they're not. They're actually brother and sister, so, it, you know, again, just kind of tying in some more of that creep, like, what the hell? But the woman, and I know I haven't put a lot of emphasis on the actors and actresses and that kind of stuff in these films in the last couple of episodes, but I don't know her name, but if you watch it, look her up. The character who plays the woman in the house has a fantastic, you know, for horror fans, we like to focus on our idols, right? Like whoever played the character that was great, like whoever plays Jason in certain movies or whoever has like the best, you know, final girl scream or all this kind of stuff. There is, I feel, an iconic moment at the end with this woman where she has a knife. She raises it in the most corniest horror movie raise, I'm going to stab you over the head knife swing ever, and just has this banshee well and psychotic scream as she storms towards these kids to stab them in the face. It is intense. It's awesome. It's like this, you know, put it in a frame, golden shot. I just really like that part at the end. Check it out. Let me know what you think when you, if you watch this. And yeah, not really too much else to say about either one of these films. I think you should check them out. I know I haven't been doing as many walkthroughs recently, but only because I've just kind of been ingesting so much horror media. I just kind of want to briefly hit on some of these films that I watched and, uh, you know, what I think about it. Because sometimes it's boring to just walk through the film. But if you'd like to see me do more walkthroughs, let me know in the comments or send me an email at justjameshorrorpodcast at gmail.com. All right, so the main point I want to get to with this film is about the politics of it. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Sit down. It's about to get political on the Just James Horror Review. No, I'm just kidding. But I do want to talk about cinema at this time, and I think this movie is a really good example. And it has to do with the horror genre, so let's tie it all together and let's talk about it. Now, 
The main character, Fool, is a black child actor, and his name is Brandon Quinton Adams, who played in The Sandlot and both Mighty Ducks film as a young actor you might recall. So, why do I bring that up? Great question, because... As we all know, race shouldn't matter when telling a story, and if you notice, during this episode, I purposefully chose not to use race in any of my descriptions. What? Go back and listen. Do you remember? Side note, they use stuff like this in sociology classes. They did in all mine growing up anyway in college, where they would do something like this, and then at the end they would ask you, hey, are you surprised? Does this change anything about the story? If so, why? Would the story be any different if our main character was a different race than the original? And why? And questions like these. And I think these are important questions to ask yourself, especially in the context of everything that's going on nowadays or that's been going on forever and um, in a college setting, of course. But in horror film, the reason it matters to this film is it's just a little food for thought and perhaps why this movie didn't quite feel right and felt like a bunch of different films trying to smash themselves together. So I simply bring it up because as a Wes Craven film, it sort of felt like, you know, what the hell is going on with this movie? So something's just not coming together like I think it was trying to. You know, is this a horror film? Is this a Goonies ripoff? You know, what is the artist trying to show me? What does the artist want me to see or understand or learn? That's what I was trying to figure out and what I always figure out or try to figure out when I'm watching these films. So I decided to look into it a little bit and I may have found out why. Now, time to share a little context here about other movies that were out at this time that were making, well, we'll say making the the movies that were making money at the time. These are going to be movies like New Jack City, Boys in the Hood, Ricochet, The Last Boy Scout, Do the Right Thing, House Party, and did you know that the 80s and 90s, well, unofficially, are referred to as Black New Wave in cinema? Now, well, when I say unofficially, I read this <laughs> I read this in an article called ShotDeck.com, and it's titled, The Black New Wave of the 1990s Was Built to Last. Now, being a kid in the 90s, totally unaware of this stuff, so it's interesting to go back and think about all these films that I saw way back in that era and, you know, what the subject matter and all that kind of stuff is. Thinking about it now as an adult, where as a kid, you know, you don't really pay attention to any of that stuff. You're just there for the story to check it out. It's cool. You know, you're oblivious. But anyway, this article goes on to say that the new wave of filmmakers were beyond the black exploitation films of the 70s and pretty much started with Spike Lee films in the 80s. Now, it's a fantastic article about film history during this time and black filmmakers, and I encourage you to go and find out more, not just from that article, but just Google it. There's a shit ton of stuff to read, and there's even some YouTube videos you can watch. It's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so so anyway, just check that out. So now we have a little bit of context for the time period, but also this film, because it had those out-of-the-box elements that might not have been present in other Wes Craven films. You know, the settings, the characters, the use of certain words and ideas, they all just seem to be, I don't know, different. And perhaps one of the reasons could possibly be because this movie was made during a time when his choices were where, you know, it's hard to put this on because I don't fucking know, but I'm just going to say that maybe they were influenced in hopes of riding this new wave in cinema. And I think when you watch that, having this context, it's sort of what it feels like to me. And and you know what? I'll just kind of just, I'll just be blunt and I'll just say it, but it seems like this film, like it was directed by a white dude and he was trying to make a quasi, you know, like black new wave film. I don't know. And 
I, I don't guess it's fair for me to guess because I, I don't know anything about Wes Craven or any of the people that worked on the film, but it is an issue that I would think needs more of absolution than assumption. So, yeah, I, I, I won't... I won't take a hard stance one way or the other. I just want to present the information and the ideas to you, and then you can come to your own conclusion. But that being said, let me hit you with one last little fact here. The closing credit song is Do the Right Thing, which is also the name of Spike Lee's popular film that came out in 89 and sort of, and sort of set off this new wave of cinema. So yeah, a lot of coincidences going on there, I'm just going to say. So I don't know if this movie is, you know, proving the point or... <laughs> Or if it's actually trying to, you know, share the message or whatever. Like I said, come to your own conclusions. Do a little bit of research, especially if you love film and all that kind of stuff the way I do. Research it up. Look it up. And, uh, yeah, educate yourself. It's cool. You know what? Or, or or don't. Just watch the movie and enjoy it however you want. <laughs> I'm just some guy on the internet. Who gives a shit what I think? Uh, and, okay, so last last thing i wanted to say is another reason why i picked this film is because you know housebound made me think about some of the elements that i thought were in this film but also i had read in a previous article in fangoria or somewhere like that that jordan peele who in the context of everything that we're talking about here who you know jordan peele black american producer writer director actor he directed us nope get out just fucking amazing across the board such a talent especially in horror cinema love it love it love his films but i feel like jordan peele is the perfect person to remake this film he he's got the talent and i would say even his talent ranks up there with west craven films i mean i have no issues saying that uh with full confidence uh, especially when it comes to horror movies now of course that's just my opinion my perspective whatever but i feel like he can make this film and make it all come together and not feel disjointed because it comes from a perspective that knows what it's talking about, if that makes sense. He doesn't have to pretend when he makes this movie to know what he's talking about. He's actually going to know and have the perspective to make the the commentary that goes along with this horror film, as he has in some in nearly all of his other films. So I think it'd be a, a great opportunity for Jordan Peele to make a not only a really cool movie that had a lot of great horror elements, but to make them all come together in a way that's going to make for just a better film. So, yeah. Look for that in the future. As for this movie, you know, I like to change the place and the representation and all that. Even if it was a bit, little bit of a typecast, you know, arguably a bit derivative, you know, but... Um, I think most people identify with the characters and situations. It's not like you're not going to enjoy this movie if you watch it. Although it does drag, it's a bit slow, it's a little sluggish. But I feel like a lot of us can relate to the characters in there. It's a, It's got a lot to do with, you know, socioeconomic stuff, you know, poverty and things like that. And if you ever grew up or, or knew someone growing up in that situation, you can absolutely identify with that. Identify with Fool and his family and his mom being sick and just, you know, like wanting to take care of people and that kind of stuff. So, so check it out. It's okay. It's, it's not the best movie I've ever seen. Certainly not the worst movie I've ever seen. It just, it has its issues. I think once it gets cleaned up though, it has the chance to this being one of the films where the remake is actually going to be better than the original film. And that fucking rarely happens. Oh yeah. And Ving Rhames is in this film, you know, so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, Ving Rhames is in here. He plays one of the thieves at the very beginning. He's the one that gets uh, gunned down, does a great job in this film. Uh, considering the fact that he just started acting in film anyway, like six years or so before this film. I think he was in Jacob's Ladder. I think that's what I read. 
on the internet. Maybe, yeah, because I haven't seen Jacob Slider in forever. Maybe I need to revisit that film. But yeah, he was in Jacob Slider, and then shortly after this film, he was in Pulp Fiction, so, you know. And went on and still having an amazing career. If you've ever looked at his filmography, dude, tons of movies. Tons of them. And bangers, too. Like, not just all, like, crap, you know, sidebar B-films, whatever. Like, good movies. So, yeah, if you like crazy, cannibal, incest, rich elites killing kids, I mean, you can watch this movie or you can look at the news. I mean, <laughs> either way, check it out. Uh, it's all scary. Um, the world's fucked up. And uh, this is Just James Horror View. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Just James. Join us next week when we will hopefully have a special guest. What? Tune in and find out. Love you guys. Take care. Thank you.